Welcome to Didache, where we are studying to show ourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth so we can worship God in spirit and truth, deepening our knowledge of God, thereby enabling us to deepen our love for God. Here is your host, Justin Peters. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is an interview that I promised you with Dr. Nathan Busnitz. Dr. Busnitz is the academic provost at the Master's Seminary in Los Angeles, California, and is also an elder at Grace Community Church. And I wanted to interview Nathan. Uh, He and I are friends. We met back at the Strange Fire Conference, and he did a couple of presentations at the Strange Fire Conference, and one of them dealt with evaluating the modern gift of prophecy. Is there a difference between New Testament prophecy and Old Testament prophecy? Is there such a thing as fallible prophecy? And all of those issues play right into what we've been dealing with in this video. And so, Nathan, brother, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, Justin, thank you so much and grateful for your ministry, grateful for the opportunity to be here. Well, Nathan, uh, start us off. How does the Bible define a false prophet? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, when we think about a prophet, and we're talking within the context here of new revelation from God, the word prophet literally means a spokesman or a mouthpiece. So when we're talking about a prophet, we're talking about someone who claims to be a spokesperson for God, who delivers revelation from God to God's people. And in scripture, God speaks through the prophets. In fact, Hebrews chapter one talks about the fact that in the days of old, in the Old Testament, God spoke to the fathers through the prophets and he has spoken in the New Testament era through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but God delivers his revelation through prophets. And so understanding the difference between a true prophet and a false prophet is extraordinarily important because it's the difference between knowing with certainty that you're hearing from God in the case of a true prophet and knowing with certainty that you're not hearing from God in spite of what a false prophet might claim. And so getting that right is of vital importance. And the Bible gives us tests by which we can test people who claim to be spokespeople for God. So people who claim to be prophets are subject to these tests. And I believe scripture gives us three tests for evaluating prophets. One would be what I would call the doctrinal test, that prophets are those who speak truth because they're speaking, again, revelation from God. And so that truth will be doctrinal, doctrinally, <laughs> that truth will be doctrinally orthodox. Get that word out. And uh, it will accord with what God has revealed about himself in the past. And, and we can see in both the Old Testament and the New Testament this standard put forth. So Deuteronomy 13, 1 to 5 is a place where uh, prophets are held to the standard of doctrinal orthodoxy. And we see a similar thing in, for example, 2 Peter chapter 2, where Peter says, just as there were false prophets who arose among the people, so also false teachers will arise among God's flock. And so in the New Testament, a false teacher is someone who uh, puts forth false doctrine, uh, false teaching, and that is what characterizes a false prophet. So doctrinal orthodoxy is one test. 
A second test would be the test of what I would call moral integrity, namely that God calls his prophets to live consistently with the message that they proclaim. And that's not to say that prophets are perfect people. They're not perfect people. We have plenty of examples in scripture of prophets who sinned, but they respond to that in a repentant way. And the general tenor of their life is one in which they live by a standard of moral integrity that is consistent with the message. And you see examples of that, for example, Jeremiah 20. 23, false prophets are condemned because of the adultery, immorality, and idolatry that they were promoting in ancient Israel. Uh, similarly, similarly, in the New Testament, uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, again, Peter goes on to say that the false teachers, who are the equivalent of false prophets, that uh, they are known as those who are greedy, who are characterized by the lust of the flesh, by sensuality, and by all sorts of immorality. So there is a, a moral test. And, and then thirdly, and I think this gets to the heart of what we're going to be talking about today, is what I would call revelatory accuracy in terms of a third test. So doctrinal orthodoxy, moral integrity, and then revelatory accuracy, which is to say that when a prophet claims to be delivering a message from God. In other words, when the prophet stands up and says, this is what the Lord says, whatever comes out of the prophet's mouth next has to be 100% accurate. And that's because God is a God of truth. God does not lie. And so if the prophet is delivering a word from the Lord that truly comes from God, it's going to come with the kind of accuracy that we would expect a message from God to come with, which is 100% accuracy. Right. And uh, there are some key texts in that regard, probably the most important text, at least in terms of setting that standard in the Old Testament, is Deuteronomy 18, uh, verses 18 to 22, where God makes it very clear that if a person claims to be a prophet and they make a prediction about the future, and that prediction about the future does not come to pass, then God himself says, you can know that that person is not truly a prophet of mine. And that person is, according to the biblical standard, a false prophet. He's falsely claiming to speak for God when, in fact, he's speaking presumptuously. He's not actually speaking for the Lord. And I think you see that same standard carried out throughout the rest of Scripture, that when prophets speak for God, the content of their prophecy must be accurate. So those would be the three tests that I see in Scripture for distinguishing between false prophets and true prophets. Okay, great. And I've, I'm doing this video. We're talking about just the incredible face plant that all of the prophets have done in the last 12 months uh, uh, detail how literally none of the prophets saw COVID coming after COVID came, they decreed it to be gone. They banished it. That didn't work. None of them saw the riots coming that lasted, you know, for months on the end. Uh, none of them saw the second impeachment. None of them saw the riots at the Capitol. Uh, and even on the event, which they knew was coming on the calendar, the presidential election, they, 100% of the prophets got that wrong. And uh, 
one of the arguments that I've, one of the counter arguments that I've heard from some of these folks, they say, well, well, none of the prophets are perfect. You know, even prophets make mistakes. And, and I would say that in only in the sense, like say if Isaiah one morning was talking to one of his friends and he said, you know, it looks like it's going to rain today. I think it might rain today and it doesn't rain that day. It doesn't make him a false prophet, but when he's, when he prophesies, thus saith the Lord, when he speaks for God in that sense, uh, Prophets are held to a 100% accuracy rate, correct? Yeah, that's exactly right, Justin. And, and if you're looking for a biblical example of that, I think the prophet Nathan is, provides a good biblical example. When yeah. he offers his opinion, David asks him, hey, I'd like to build the temple. What do you think? Nathan offers his opinion and says, yeah, you know, that sounds like a great idea. But then the Lord comes to Nathan and says to Nathan, you know what? I'm not going to have David build the temple. I want Solomon to build the temple. And Nathan comes back to David and says, okay, my opinion was my opinion, but this is what the Lord says. Mm -hmm. And you're right. So when when a prophet says, this is what the Lord says, or when he communicates to people that the content of his message represents revelation from God, that revelation from God, if he is a true prophet, will be 100% accurate. And if it's not 100% accurate, then you know that that message did not come from God. Right. Absolutely. Okay. And another one of the arguments that the charismatics make, Nathan, to try to extricate themselves from these incredibly deep holes for which they have dug, uh, which they've dug for themselves, they will say that they're, that New Testament prophets aren't held to the same standard as the Old Testament prophets, that there has been a, degradation of the prophetic gift from Old Testament to New Testament. They're just not held to that same 100% standard. What would be your argument against that? Yeah, I would say that that is an argument that has developed in the last 100 years or 120 years since the birth of Pentecostalism in 1901. And it's developed out of necessity because it's become very clear that the prophet, the prophecy and the prophets that are, um, so abundant in the broader charismatic movement that their prophecy does not meet the biblical standard of a hundred percent accuracy. So what do you do when you have a reality that you're claiming to be a prophet, but you don't meet the standard of 100% accuracy? You have to invent a category in which you can still claim to be a prophet and yet not meet the biblical standard. And that's exactly what the charismatic movement has done. So you're right. The claim is that in the New Testament, there were the apostles and other writers of the New Testament who were held to the same standard as Old Testament prophets. And so the New Testament meets that standard. But then there's a second class or a second tier of prophet. Some would call these congregational prophets. Some would just call them New Testament prophets. And the idea is that the congregational prophets, uh, they didn't always get it right. So the standard of infallibility and also the expectation of authority Both of those things are absent from New Testament prophets. So the New Testament prophets, the congregational prophets, this again is the charismatic 
Um, this is the category that they invented. Yeah. Uh, it, it is this idea that you have people who they get a revelation from God, but then either because they don't have enough faith or something else happens, that message gets muddled. And so when they speak it, uh, it doesn't come out with 100% accuracy and it also is not authoritative. So you don't have to obey it. You can, if you want, and, uh, the prophet's not held liable if, they say, for example, God told me that you should go and sell your house and then you go and sell your house and that ends up being a really bad thing that you did, financially unwise. Well, the prophet can always say, well, look, maybe I got the prophecy wrong. It wasn't authoritative. It wasn't inerrant. Um, it, it really degrades the idea of prophecy and puts it almost on the level of just sort of spiritual advice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's helpful. Um, so New Testament prophets are held to the same standard. There's been no degradation there. And I've always found it somewhat ironic that the whole point, that the overall theme of the New Testament is that we have something better. Jesus is our better high priest. He offers us a better covenant, made a better sacrifice. Everything is better except apparently the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy just took a nosedive in the, in the new Testament. It just makes no sense. Um, yeah. And Justin, along those lines, um, you asked in the earlier question, you know, what are the biblical arguments against this idea of a second category or a lower category of congregational prophecy? Uh, it's just, it's absent from the new Testament. When the book of acts, for example, talks about prophets, it talks about the old Testament prophets and then interspersed between those accounts, it talks about New Testament prophets, uses the exact same terminology, gives no indication in the text that there's some sort of categorical difference, and uh, intersperses them in a way that unless you were trying to create a new category, you just wouldn't see it in the text. Mm -hmm. uh, in addition to that, you know, one of the verses that... Uh, those who promote this idea of the charismatic gift of prophecy uh, want to appeal to is Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2 when he says, this is that of which the prophet Joel uh, prophesied. And it goes on to say that you're, you know, it talks about your young men dreaming dreams and your old men seeing visions and about the people prophesying. And uh, it's interesting to me that because Peter's quoting from an Old Testament prophet, the prophet Joel from Joel 2.28, that the category or the caliber of prophecy that Joel is talking about has to be Old Testament prophecy because he's an Old Testament prophet talking about prophecy in an Old Testament context. So when Peter quotes that passage, the quality of prophecy that Peter implies will characterize the uh phenomena that he is describing, it is an Old Testament quality prophecy, but you can't have Old Testament quality prophecy without the Old Testament standards that govern that prophecy. Yep. So this idea that Joel 2 is some sort of, or Acts 2, Joel 2 is some sort of, um, that it gives the charismatic movement license to do this kind of thing. Uh, I would see that as them trying to have their cake and eat it too. You, you just can't do that because Joel 2 is clearly an Old Testament kind of prophecy, and that comes with the Old Testament standards of accuracy, which again, 
I would argue, uh, apply to prophecy in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And like you said, new covenant promises are supposed to be uh, represent, for lack of a better way of describing it, an upgrade. Why would prophecy be the one category where it's downgraded? Right. And severely downgraded at that, as we have, as we have seen. You know, it, it's interesting that all of the, I hear the charismatic prophets all the time quoting Amos 3 7, uh, the Lord or Yahweh does nothing without revealing it to his prophets. And so they like to carry that mantle, but they don't want the Old Testament penalties <laughs> for a false prophet, i.e., stoning, uh, putting to death. And, and, and that, that the penalty was so severe for false prophets, I think, uh, speaks to the seriousness with which God takes people who put words in his mouth. Correct? Well, absolutely. There really is nothing more serious than misrepresenting revelation from God, claiming to have revelation from God when it's not from God, distorting what God has truly said, and putting yourself in a position where you claim to be a mouthpiece for God, but in fact, you're just a mouthpiece for your own imagination. Uh, I think of Ezekiel chapter 13, where Ezekiel condemns the false prophets and says, you know, you're just hoping, you're making predictions and hoping they come to pass. Uh, that's not biblical prophecy. Prophecy, when it came to the predictive side of prophecy, is saying in the past what will happen in the future because the God who controls the future has given you that revelatory content. And again, Deuteronomy 18, if you make a prediction and the prediction doesn't come true, you've just shown, you've exposed yourself to the whole world that you are not what you have claimed to be. Uh, Another passage that comes to mind is Jeremiah 23, where Jeremiah similarly denounces the false prophets as those who simply proclaim their own imagination. And if it doesn't come from God, it comes from some other source. And Ezekiel 13 and Jeremiah 23 uh, place that in the simple, arrogant imaginations of uh, those who would be so presumptuous as to claim to speak for God when in fact they do not. Right. Okay. And one of the other common arguments from charismatics when they try to uh, uh, give themselves some cover, they'll say, oh, but what about Agabus? Uh, Agabus was a New Testament prophet. And even though the gist of what he prophesied that uh, Paul would be handed over to the Romans by the Jews, you know, the gist of what what they what he prophesied happened. But he, he was he was wrong on the details. Agabus is one of their favorite uh trump cards, if you will. Walk us through a little bit. Was was Agabus, he was clearly a New Testament prophet, but did, was he a prophet with some error? Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the example of Agabus because he is the sort of the main example that is used by those who are, again, insisting on this category of fallible prophecy. Uh, Agabus is mentioned in Acts 11 in uh, he predicts the coming of the famine and predicts that accurately. And then he's featured in Acts 21 because he brings a revelation. He says, this is what the Holy Spirit says. And then he brings a revelation directly from the Holy Spirit. And that revelation 
um, it depicts what is going to happen to Paul when he returns to Jerusalem, that he will be seized and bound by the Jews and, um, and then delivered over. And uh, the, the claim that's made is that when Luke later in Acts 21 records Paul's arrest, that the details maybe seem a little bit different than what Agabus specifically predicted. But my response to that is, well, I have a number of responses to that, but first and foremost, uh, that is reading something into the text that isn't there. Uh, Luke doesn't have to go back over all of those same details because it's implied in the text that those things happened. And so when Luke describes the actual uh, details of the arrest, he focuses more on what happened with Paul being delivered over to the Romans and doesn't cover as much detail about him being seized and bound by the Jews there in the temple because those details have already been inserted into the narrative through Agabus's prophecy. We know that Agabus, those details in Agabus's prophecy took place just as he said, because the Apostle Paul confirms that in Acts 26, when he gives his testimony before Agrippa, he talks about how the Jews in the temple seized him and tried to kill him. And even in Acts 28, he talks about with the Jewish leaders there in the city of Rome, how he was delivered over, he uses the same language that Agabus used in Acts 21. So Paul's own testimony in Acts 26 and in Acts 28 confirms that the precise details that Agabus foretold are indeed, they were accurate, they are exactly what happened to Paul, even though Luke didn't uh, reiterate all of those same details later in Acts 21. Uh, but Luke certainly did not uh, indicate in any sense that there was any part of Agabus's prophecy that was incorrect. And no one in church history interpreted Agabus's prophecy as having any issues until the modern charismatic movement comes along and they have to try and find somebody because there's no example of a true prophet in scripture who got the details of his prophecy wrong. It just doesn't exist. And uh, Agabus is an attempted example, but honestly, um, well, I like to say that they threw Agabus under the bus. Not that Agabus cares. Agabus is in heaven rejoicing right. around the throne. But um, in, in fairness to Agabus, he got the details of his prophecy exactly right. And, and just one more comment on that. Agabus was quoting the Holy Spirit. I mean, the formula that Agabus uses is just like an Old Testament prophet. This is what Yahweh says, except that he emphasizes is the third member of the Trinity. This is what the Holy Spirit says. So for modern charismatic to suggest that Agabus got his prophecy wrong, I think is incredibly dangerous because what they're really saying is that a direct quote from the Holy Spirit includes in it some sort of error. And that is an incredibly dangerous, uh, honestly blasphemous thing to suggest. So it's not just that Agabus is making a prediction. Agabus is quoting the Holy Spirit, and he's quoting the Holy Spirit in the Bible. So the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to record Agabus quoting the Holy Spirit. Right. And uh, so this, this idea that the Holy Spirit got the details wrong is something that I find incredibly dangerous 
And I don't know that modern charismatics always have thought through the implications of what they're suggesting when they suggest that Agabus got the details of his prophecy wrong. Right. That's very, very helpful, Nathan. Thank you for that, because I, I know that is a common objection. And, and so thank you for bringing that kind of clarity to our viewers here. That's very, very helpful. Um, in preparation for this interview, I sent you a link to a program that Dr. Michael Brown did entitled Who or What is a False Prophet of Memory Serves? I think it was aired on January the 12th, 2020. And um, he was responding or trying to give a response to the complete miss of literally 100% of the prophets in dealing with the presidential election. And uh, you watched that. And so I want to ask you about some of the arguments that he made. And in fairness, uh, to Michael Brown and I, and you and I as cessationists, we have our significant theological differences with, with Dr. Michael Brown, but he's widely regarded as the leading apologist of the charismatic movement. And, uh, in fairness to him, he, he took this reasonably seriously. I mean, he, he said that, uh, that there's no excuse. In fact, to quote him here, uh, in an article, he says, uh, January 20th, this is writing after the inauguration of Joe Biden, but he says, January 20th is now passed. Biden, not Trump, is the president. To all those who prophesied that Trump would serve a second consecutive term and assured us that he would be inaugurated on the 20th, I appeal to you in the strongest possible terms, admit your error, take full responsibility, and do not under any circumstances to con continue to put a false hope into the hearts of God's people. Uh, he said, face the facts, be accountable before God and man, take the hits that will be coming so, and humble yourself before the Lord and his people. He said, if you prophesied falsely, you and you alone are to blame. So uh, very clear about that. But but then he, he, he does this program on, and he basically says, uh, walk through a few of his arguments. He says that there's a difference between a false prophet and one who falsely prophesies. Now, we've kind of already dealt with that, but... Uh, but is that a valid argument? Is there a difference between someone who falsely prophesies and a genuine false prophet? Yeah, I know what Dr. Brown is trying to do there. He's trying to put, again, the modern charismatic self-proclaimed prophet. He's trying to put those individuals into a category in which fallible prophecy is allowable. My contention against that is the the scripture itself does not contain that category that category is an invention of a movement that is forced to find that kind of category in order to make room for what is obvious to everyone and that is that their prophets get it wrong most of the time but biblically speaking that just doesn't pass muster the biblical standard is 100% accuracy when you are delivering revelation from God. And if you claim that you are delivering revelation from God to his people, and the content of that supposed revelation is inaccurate, Deuteronomy 18, and honestly, the rest of scripture rise up in testimony against you that your claim is shown to be false on its face. You are not what you claim to be insofar as your content is proven to be false. Mm -hmm. 
I appreciate the fact that Dr. Brown wants to hold these individuals to account, but the damage that is being done by those who claim to be prophets and yet make predictions that are proven to be false is massive. And it's massive on two levels. It's massive because it creates enormous confusion for people who are part of that movement who have been told that prophets are still active in the church today, and then they suddenly wonder, wait a second, how could all of these prophets have gotten this wrong? I mean, how are you supposed to trust your spiritual leadership when your spiritual leadership says, God told me this, and then what they say God told you ends up being clearly wrong? Right. So enormous confusion. And then the second major problem is that it also brings a massive reproach on the name of Christ. And so for both those who are um, part of that movement, who are deeply confused by it, and then those who are part of the watching world who make a mockery out of Christianity, out of the gospel, out of the idea of God being sovereign over future events, whatever it may be, the testimony to a watching world is obliterated by this kind of of tragic sham it's a charade is really what it is and and so uh, i i'm grateful that he's calling them to account but i wish he would go farther and uh, repudiate the entire system upon which this confusion and this disparagement of the name of christ is based indeed indeed And, and you know it really begs the question if if literally 100% of the prophets were wrong about an event as monumental and as planned and known and scheduled as the United States presidential election. 100% of them got that wrong. It really begs the question, what good are they? I mean, what can you trust them on? And, uh, and even after the electors were certified, this is after January 6th, Many of the prophets uh, were still saying, oh, Trump's still going to get in. God's going to do a miracle. And and even <laughs> even after it was clear that Biden was going to be in, they most of them doubled down on their error. So it, it begs the question, what what purpose do they serve? What good are they? Um, well, let me ask you about this. Another one of Dr. Brown's arguments is that a false prophet is one who intentionally deceives people. And Brown makes the argument, in fact, I'll quote from the same article from which I just read a minute ago. Uh, He said of the prophets, maybe you did not intend to mislead. Maybe you are acting in sincerity and integrity, truly believing the Lord had spoken. Uh, Maybe you were so grieved over where the radical left was going that you prophesied what you desired. Maybe you sensed God's intent. That's language not found in the Bible, but uh, maybe you sensed God's intent. Maybe you got caught up in the power of the group. So, you know, maybe, 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 maybe this is what happened. Maybe this is why you did what you did. Uh, and he makes the argument that, yes, they were obviously wrong, but they were not intentionally wrong. And a false prophet is one who is intentionally deceiving people. And his argument is that these folks weren't intentionally trying to deceive people. What would be, what would be your response to that? Yeah, my my response to that would be to say that sincerity is not part of the biblical test for determining the difference between a true prophet and a false prophet. 
there are many in false religions who are sincere in their pursuit of that false religion, but they are sincerely wrong. Mm -hmm. What we're dealing with here is a claim that people are making that they are spokesmen or spokeswomen, spokespeople for God, that they are a mouthpiece for God, and they are claiming to deliver revelatory content from God to his people. The sincerity of that belief is irrelevant. From a biblical standard, from the standpoint of the biblical standard, all that matters is whether or not their claim is true. And you can test whether or not their claim is true based on those criteria that we talked about earlier. Doctrinal orthodoxy, moral integrity, and then to the point of what we're speaking about right now, revelatory accuracy. Mm -hmm. If I claim to be a prophet and I say, this is what God says, and then what comes out of my mouth next is not true, then my claim that I am a spokesman for God is proven to be false. The sincerity of that claim, again, is irrelevant. Right. Sincerity is not the issue. Truth is the issue. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, you and I are cessationist and uh, the, the people hear that term. A lot of people really don't understand what it means because it's been caricatured. And as cessationists, Nathan, you and I would affirm the continuance of the spiritual gifts of teaching, mercy, administration, exhortation, hospitality, giving those gifts absolutely continue to be operative in the church today. We, we simply believe that the apostolic gifts, the sign gifts have ceased, uh, including prophecy in the sense of foretelling the future or speaking directly for God that that has ceased with the closing of the canon of scripture, the, the closing of the apostolic age. Uh, you and I are on the same page there, right? Yeah, we totally are. So uh, when we talk about those uh, extraordinary gifts that characterize the foundation age of the church, we're talking about sign gifts and revelatory gifts. So the sign gifts are those gifts like gifts of healing and gifts of miracles that were given specifically to the apostles, but also to others during the apostolic age. And they served as a sign to demonstrate powerfully to people that those who exercised those gifts were indeed empowered by God and that they were his messengers. And then the revelatory gifts were given during this same period of time, the apostolic age. And they were given while the New Testament scriptures were being revealed and until the canon was complete. And, you know, I think the one of the clearest passages in that regard is Ephesians 2.20, because in Ephesians 2.20, Paul makes it clear that the apostles and the prophets, that they were given, that those offices were given for the foundation of the church, that the church is founded on the witness of the apostles and the prophets, specifically their revelatory witness to Jesus Christ, who is the cornerstone. And so even, you know, sometimes charismatics will look at Ephesians 4.11 and they'll see apostles and prophets as the first two of those five different offices that are listed. And they'll assume that those are supposed to continue for the entire church age. 
But what they fail to recognize is that back in chapter 3, verse 5, and then especially chapter 2, verse 20, Paul has already made it clear that the expectation for apostles and prophets is that, and and chapter 3, verse 5 makes it clear that it's New Testament prophets who are being described there in Ephesians 2.20, that apostles and prophets were for the foundation age of the church only. And so you're right, as cessationists, and, uh, you know, it is regrettable sometimes that that term sounds so negative, but really what we're saying is we're saying that God spoke through his apostles and through his prophets for the foundation of the church. That revelatory foundation is found in the New Testament, which is where the knowledge of God is revealed to us. That is all that we need for life and godliness, Second Peter chapter 1. And it is all that we need so that the man of God can be complete, 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. This idea that we need more revelation in addition to the Bible, it really undercuts and undermines our commitment to Scripture alone as our all-sufficient authority in terms of what God has revealed in his truth for the church age. Okay, great. Yeah. So along those lines, Nathan, what would you say, because uh, charismatics would point to Say like Romans twelve six, uh, the one who prophesies should prophesy according to the measure of his faith. That's you know the rendering that they often cite. Uh, that and and also First Thessalonians five twenty and twenty one, where it says, "Do not despise prophetic utterances." So, how do those texts square with what you just described as cessationism? Yeah, so I'm glad you brought up those texts, uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 6, 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 to 22, and then one more that I'll just add, because it often gets uh, added in this same category of text, is 1 Corinthians 14, 29, where it's talking about prophecy within the congregation and saying that uh, only one prophet should speak at a time and the others are to pass judgment. Yeah. And uh, so let's start with Romans 12, 6. So these passages are often used to, again, bolster the claim that New Testament prophecy is somehow different than Old Testament prophecy, that there was a category of New Testament prophecy that was fallible prophecy or congregational prophecy. And the idea in Romans 12, 6 is if, if my ability to prophesy is tied to the level of my faith, then it makes sense that if uh, if I have you know a lower level of faith, then my prophecy might not be as accurate as somebody else who has a higher level of faith. That's the way that that is often applied. The issue in Romans twelve six is that the Greek there doesn't actually say uh, according to the measure of his faith. In fact, the Greek is according to the measure of the faith. It's the definite article there in Greek. It's not a personal possessive pronoun. And so Romans 12, 6 is better understood not as, hey, prophesy uh, at the level of faith that you have. You have 50% faith, you get 50% accuracy. That's not the right interpretation of Romans 12, 6. It is that when a prophet prophesies, and again, Romans was written at a time when everyone agrees the gift of prophecy was active. When a prophet delivers revelation from God, that revelation from God must accord with the faith. 
the body of doctrinal content once for all delivered to the saints. If it's inconsistent with the faith, you know that there's something wrong. It must be consistent with the faith. So that's Romans 12, 6. 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 to 22, again, written at a time when everyone agrees the gift of prophecy was active. Why would Paul tell the Thessalonians, do not despise prophetic utterances? It's because the Thessalonians had been burned by false prophets, false prophets who had given them incorrect information about the coming of the day of the Lord. And Paul has to set their eschatology straight. And they're so burned by false prophets and so wary of anyone claiming to be a prophet that Paul has to say, hey, look, if somebody comes to you and they're a genuine prophet, listen to them. And then he gives them this added instruction, examine everything carefully or test everything carefully. How are they supposed to do that? Well, I believe they were supposed to do that in the same way that the Bereans did that in Acts 17.11. In fact, it was right after Paul was in Thessalonica that he went to Berea, and then the Bereans investigated, searched the scriptures to see if these things were true. And Luke says that they were noble for doing that. So how do you examine revelatory or prophetic content? How do you examine, if somebody says, I have a message from God for you, how do you know if that's true? You you uh, test it against what has been revealed in scripture. And then Paul goes on to say, uh, cling to that which is good. And, and far too often, that's where the charismatics stop quoting these verses. But the very next phrase is important in verse 22. Paul says, avoid that which is evil, which is to say that if someone claims to have a prophetic word from God and it is not actually from God, it is in the category of evil that must be avoided. Right. Um, just a couple more comments. The issue in 1 Thessalonians 5 is not one prophet who says some things that are good and some things that are bad, and you're trying to decide which was good and which was bad. It's that you're actually testing the prophet himself to see if the prophet is a true prophet or a false prophet. Uh, that's in keeping with the warnings throughout the New Testament, starting with Jesus in Matthew 7. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, and you will know them by their fruit. So the danger of false prophets was a very real danger, and the Thessalonians are to test what's being said so they can know the difference between a true prophet and a false prophet. Uh, so this idea that you're going to just kind of I remember hearing one charismatic author say one time that it's like calling balls and strikes and you just kind of call it as you see it. That is not what First Thessalonians 5 is about. It's right. about discerning the difference between true prophets and false prophets, doing so against the standard of Scripture and avoiding as evil those who demonstrate themselves to be false prophets. Yeah. And then I would just say real quickly, that's the same thing in First Corinthians 14.29, when it says the others are to pass judgment, the word that's used there is a Greek term. It's a form of uh, diakrino, which is a term to pass judgment that almost always refers to passing judgment about people, not about whether or not a, a message got some things right and some things wrong, like we're doing some sort of sermon evaluation. It's about actually passing judgment on whether this person is a true prophet or a false prophet, because again, in the first century, the and, and even today, all throughout church history, the reality of the danger of false prophets was so predominant and so prevalent 
that the church always had to be on guard for those who would seek to creep in unnoticed and wreak havoc by claiming to be prophets when in fact they were not truly God's spokesmen. Mm -hmm. Right. That's very helpful. Very, very helpful. And, you know, in, in reading all of these, we have to keep in con the, the, the con context in which these instructions were written. And uh, as you said, they were, all of these directives were written in the age in which the prophetic uh, was still in operation and in much the same vein that many people have pushed back against me when I say that tongues is no longer operative today. I'll say, well, Paul said in First Corinthians 13, 14, uh, 39, do not forbid to speak in tongues. So how can you say tongues is no longer operative when Paul says we're not to forbid it? And it's like, well, the answer to that is he was writing in a day and age in which the gift of tongues was still operative, but it's not today. So uh, context, very, very helpful. Um, yeah, and I would also, I would even add on that point that, you know, really, I think the simplest way to evaluate the modern charismatic movement in terms of their view of the gifts is to compare what's happening today to what was actually happening in the New Testament. Right. So you take tongues, for example. Tongues was real foreign languages. You would never prevent someone from speaking in a real foreign language. So do not forbid speaking in tongues. I don't forbid people from speaking in real foreign languages. But this idea of speaking um, a non-language. Gibberish. Uh, what I, yeah, it's gibberish. The idea of speaking gibberish in church, that's, that's not something that is validated by the New Testament in any age. Right. Um, and so when you take the real thing, the miraculous ability to speak in a language you never learned and compare it to the modern counterfeit, the counterfeit becomes so evidently um, exposed as being something completely foreign to what the New Testament is, is speaking of. And the same thing is true with prophecy. If prophecy was 100% accurate in everything that it portrayed, when a prophet spoke from God, he spoke with absolute precision and total accuracy. And you compare that to what's happening in the modern charismatic movement, it's clear that even though they're using the same terminology, tongues, prophecy, and same thing is true with healing, uh, what they are doing today simply cannot match up with the biblical standard, Old Testament or New Testament. And when people begin to understand that, um, I think the light of Scripture exposes the error for what it actually is, a cheap counterfeit. Yeah, indeed. Indeed, absolutely. There, yeah, what's being portrayed today in the modern charismatic movement is apostolic or sign gifts. It bears no resemblance to what we read in the New Testament, not, not at all. And um, if all of those gifts were still operative today, then the charismatics wouldn't have to spend so much time trying to prove that they are. It would be just... Absolutely. If, listen, Justin, if those gifts were still operative today, you and I would not be cessationists. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly uh, the, right. The, all we are doing is pointing out the obvious reality that what was happening in the New Testament, the apostles speaking in languages they never heard before, prophets predicting things that they could have never known unless God had revealed it to them and doing it with 100% accuracy, and then uh, Christ and his disciples healing people of diseases 
in a way that was immediate and public and resulted in permanent full healing for the recipient, if that kind of activity, what's described in the New Testament, was still active today, we would all be continuationists. Yep. But because we take what was happening in the New Testament seriously, we're going to hold anything that claims to still be that, we're going to hold it to that standard. Yes. And when it doesn't meet that standard, we're willing to say, hey, I know you guys are calling it the same thing, but it's not the same thing. That's right. Gibberish is not tongues. And inaccurate predictions are not prophecy. And, you know, the, the failed claims of the faith healer are, are not the biblical gift of healing. Right. And uh, I realize that a lot of people in that movement are very sincere, but their sincerity is based at best in confusion and at worst in just deception. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you and I both would just plead with people to, to evaluate these things, not by feelings, not by emotions, but by the authoritative word of God and, and place your trust, not in these the vain imaginations of these false prophets, their, their dreams and visions that they claim to have, that they're, they're not from God. I mean, everybody gets, we all dream. That doesn't mean it's from God. And, and uh, we have a prophetic word more sure as the apostle Peter said, and that is the written word of God. So Nathan, um, Dr. Buznitz. Yeah, just, Nathan, brother, thank no, you. thank yeah. you, Justin. Just one thought on that. Yes. You know, we mentioned acts two earlier and a lot of charismatics, think, you know, because Peter quoted from Joel chapter two at the beginning of his sermon in Acts chapter two, that the phenomena that are described there, that they necessarily will characterize the entire church age. But the reality is, if you look at those verses, Peter also talks about the cosmic signs that there will, you know, the sun uh, turns dark and the blood and the moon turns to blood. And he, he talks about the cosmic signs Everyone understands that those cosmic signs do not characterize the entire church age. They only characterize the end of the church age. That's right. Well, the, the charismatic signs or the prophecy and the visions and the dreams and all that's talked about, that characterizes the beginning of the church age. And so you have the beginning of the church age characterized by one part of Joel's prophecy and then the end of the church age characterized by the other part of the of Joel's prophecy these are bookends right and by not understanding that um they they read into Joel's prophecy something that then leads to uh this again this confusion i uh, i will i will say this maybe just as a last thought i would echo your plea uh, to those who are watching this, to be like the Bereans in Acts 17.11 and to search the scriptures. Because in evaluating that which claims to come from the Holy Spirit, we need to go to that which we know comes from the Holy Spirit, which is the prophetic word more sure than our experience. And we need to submit ourselves to that word and seek the truth that God has revealed there and use that as the standard by which we evaluate anything or anyone else who claims to speak for God. Indeed. Good word, brother. Thank you very much, Nathan. I really appreciate your time and uh, 
sharing these things with us. And I believe it'll be a big help to many, many who uh, view this interview. Thank you so very much. And, and as we close, are there any resources that you would recommend to our viewers along these lines? Yeah, thanks, Justin. Um, you know, the videos from the Strange Fire Conference that we did back in 2013 are available on the Grace to You website at gty.org and certainly would recommend those. For those who really uh, want to do a deeper dive into the biblical arguments, uh, I would highly recommend to you a book by uh, a man named Thomas Edgar. He wrote a book called Satisfied by the Promise of the Spirit. It is an excellent deep dive into the biblical arguments that some of which we've been talking about today, but it goes through all of these passages and shows why these passages cannot be interpreted in the way that many charismatics want to interpret them. And then, of course, at a more popular level, the Strange Fire book that came out of that conference is also a good resource. So uh, those would be a few recommendations. All right. Excellent. Excellent. And uh, friends, for those of you who are watching and you would like to see uh, Dr. Buznitz's full presentation, it is on uh, it is entitled A Word from the Lord Evaluating the Modern Gift of Prophecy. An excellent, excellent resource. Well, good afternoon. My name is Nathan Busnitz, and the title of our seminar this afternoon is A Word from the Lord, Evaluating the Modern Gift of Prophecy. So, Nathan, brother, I appreciate your contribution, appreciate your friendship, and uh, thank you very much, brother. May God bless you. All right. Thank you, Justin. Well, dear ones, I hope that interview was helpful and encouraging for you. I know it was for me. I really appreciate Dr. Busnitz taking his time and helping us to think through all of these issues with biblical clarity. It was a, he did a great job. And if there are any young men who happen to be watching this video and maybe you are considering seminary at some point in your near or intermediate future, I would highly encourage you to check out the Master Seminary out there in Los Angeles, California. Um, if I could go back and do seminary all over again, uh, no doubt that is where I would go. So uh, tms.edu. And no, they did not ask me to do that plug for them. I just do it because I, I, I believe in those guys out there, and they do a good job. Okay, so let's turn a corner here. Some of you may be wondering, well, didn't some of these prophets come out and apologize for their false prophecies and doesn't make that, uh, doesn't that make everything okay now and, and we can trust them again since they have apologized. So let's look at that. A few of them have apologized. Jeremiah Johnson, Sean Boltz, uh, Chris Valaton are some of the more prominent ones. So I want us to look at some of this and, uh, let's start with Jeremiah Johnson. You remember Jeremiah Johnson is the one who, of course, prophesied that Trump would win and even after the election, multiple days after the election, uh, he doubled down on it. He said, every prophet I know is standing. They're all in 100% agreement that Trump is going to win. He was saying this after the election. As someone who is in touch with all the prophets in America who have prophesied that Donald Trump would win a second term, they're not giving an inch. They're not willing to budge. They're not willing to repent all of us are unanimous believing the word that God spoke to us that Trump indeed would win a re-election. And so on January the 7th, Jeremiah Johnson puts up this public letter of apology and 
quote unquote repentance. And Dr. Michael Brown, uh, linked to this to help him get the word out. And so I'm, I want to, I want us to look at this. Jeremiah Johnson writes, my aim in this public apology is twofold. First, I would like to repent for inaccurately prophesying that Donald Trump would win a second term as president of the United States. I refuse to blame the saints and say it didn't come to pass because they did not pray enough, nor will I proclaim Donald Trump actually won. So I was right, but now it has been stolen from him. I believe the first statement seeks to alleviate the prophetic messenger from the responsibility of what he prophesied. And the second statement is filled with potential pride and an unwillingness to humble himself and admit he was wrong. I want to go on record. I was wrong. I am deeply sorry, and I ask for your forgiveness. I specifically want to apologize to any believer in whom I have now caused potential doubt concerning the voice of God and his ability to speak to his people. As a human being, I missed what God was saying. However, rest assured, God himself is not a liar, and his written word should always be the foundation and source of our lives as Christians. So, um, you know, in and of itself, much of this sounds good. He's not, he's not shifting the blame. He's not saying, well, Trump really won. It was just stolen from him. Like a lot of the prophets are saying, uh, he's, he's owning it and saying, I missed it. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Uh, it sounds good, but there's still a lot of problems here. Notice he says that, uh, he wants to apologize to any believer in whom I have now caused potential doubt concerning the voice of God and his ability his ability to speak to his people. Well, that's one of the fundamental issues here, isn't it? Because, dear friends, God has no problem in speaking clearly to his people. Nowhere in the Bible, Old or New Testament, will you see anyone saying something like, Oh, you know, oh, I just, was, was that you, Lord, or was that me? You know, I just heard a voice. Was that you, or was that me, or was that the... The pizza I ate tonight. Nowhere in the Bible do you find anyone to whom God was speaking expressing any doubt as to exactly what God was saying. Now, some of my more astute uh, Bible scholars that are watching me right now, you may be thinking, well, wait, wait a minute. What about uh, Samuel? Back in, back in the Old Testament. Uh, yeah, uh, the boy, the couple of points with that. Uh, Samuel was a boy. And also, when you read the text carefully, notice it says that a word from the Lord was rare in those days and visions were infrequent. A lot of times we have this idea that God was just speaking to people all the time throughout the biblical days, and he really wasn't. There were long, long, long stretches of times when God oftentimes did not say anything. And this is one of those times. A word from the Lord was rare in those days. So it was very unexpected. And uh, so that's one thing. Samuel was a boy, the other thing. And uh, a third thing, even though a word from the Lord was rare in those days and Samuel was just a boy, Samuel still knew exactly what God was saying. God was calling his name. He just at first didn't know who was saying it, but he knew exactly what God was saying. So you can't take Samuel and use that as some excuse. Oh, well, you know, it's just, uh, sometimes we know when God is speaking to us. Sometimes we don't No, It's just not, that's just not the case. You cannot make that point. Even in the new Testament, when the Holy spirit spoke, he spoke with crystal clear clarity set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. God does not stutter. He does not 
whisper. God doesn't whisper. Again, a little plug for that excellent book. Uh, God does not have any difficulty in speaking to his people when he chooses to do so. But apparently, literally 100% of the prophets today are having enormous difficulty in hearing God. The problem is not with God. The problem is with them. And the fundamental problem is, is that God is not speaking us to us today outside of his word. So, uh, now that sounded good, but he then goes on to explain how he came to such a wrong understanding of what God was supposedly telling him. In fact, he gives you kind of like a prophetic timeline. He starts in the summer of 2015 talking about this, uh, prophecy that he supposedly got from God that, uh, Trump would be, would be, uh, the president would win his first election. And in fact, this prophecy says, quote, Trump shall become a trumpet to the American people. That is so overused. So many of the prophets are playing off of Donald Trump's last name, Trump trumpet. You know, it's a, it's really common. So that's, I'm not impressed with that. Uh, then he goes to January. Then he starts to, to relate to you dream after dream, after dream, after dream that he had with Donald Trump in January of 2018. He had a dream of Donald Trump's right hand. And yes, I know I'm showing you my left hand, but my right hand doesn't work too well, but Donald Trump's right hand becoming an iron fist. And uh, God spoke to him about Donald Trump's grip is going to tighten and the liberal agenda is going to lose its grip. Um, so he, he, he relates that dream. He says, and then the following night I received another prophetic dream. Uh, it's kind of funny. Let me go up here. He says, uh, he, he says that he has always, ever since his youth, he has, uh, had a lot of dreams. He said he dreams almost every night. Well, who doesn't? All of us dream practically every night. And in fact, as long as you go into a deep sleep, you know, like stage four REM, uh, you're dreaming. You may not remember it the next morning, but, but you're dreaming. We all dream. Dreams are just dreams. They're not coming from God. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 makes that very clear. Uh, but he goes on January of 2019. Uh, this is where he says, I had as a nightly dreamer since the days of my youth. Uh, he goes on to give you another dream about how he's in a boat with Donald Trump and he's in a swamp and there are alligators attacking them in their boat. Well, you know, Donald Trump draining the swamp and that whole thing. Of course, that's so overused as well. Uh, it just goes on dream after dream. So again, he keeps, um, uh, I was good December of 2019. I was given a prophetic dream. So this one is about Donald Trump running the Boston marathon. And then there were, uh, he stumbled in the Boston marathon. And then there were two older women, one, one with a cane and one with a walker who, uh, slipped through security to come to the president's aid. You know, I mean, he, he does exactly what I was talking about earlier in this video. He spends his time exegeting dreams, exegeting visions, not scripture. Charismatics aren't known for that at all on any level. They spend far more time exegeting their dreams and visions to you than their scriptures. Sean Boltz also prophesied. You remember Sean Boltz. Sean Boltz is the Google prophet. But on January the 8th, two days after the electors were certified, two days after the riots, Sean Boltz, I guess, finally figured out that, yeah, Joe Biden's going to be president, may as well fess up. And he says, quote, I was obviously wrong about my prophecy about President Trump getting another term. Obviously, I am truly sorry as I am growing in this prophetic journey 
and was not accurate about something so big. In this season, as I am holding myself accountable, I am going to stay out of public, political, prophetic words and grow in my closeness to Jesus. Thanks to all who have grace for my own journey of faith, the prophetic is real regardless of my miss. In the same season of such a big miss, I have had some of the most marvelous fulfillment of prophecies in my entire career, and it's hard when something like this is so wrong. I am soul-searching and praying. Thank God we are in the New Testament grace of Jesus. God is good. And so even in his apology, he's still making excuses. He's still saying that he is seeing incredible fulfillments of uh, amazing prophecies, even right now, even though he missed something so big. And uh, he says, but he says he's going to stay away from the public political prophetic words. Well, maybe he's going to shy away from the political prophecy, I suppose, but he's certainly not shying away from the prophetic. In fact, uh, just read to you a, a couple of tweets from very recently. This is after his public apology on uh, January the 18th. Sean Boltz says, uh, we live in a time where prophetic ministry is needed now more than ever before. But let's answer the question. What is prophetic ministry? Prophetic ministry isn't just hearing from God or the basic gift that we all have. It's not prophet, blah, blah, blah. So he says prophetic ministry is still needed now more than ever before. On January the 22nd, he says, uh, what does God have for us in 2021 and how do we move forward? Join Sean Boltz and Rabbi Jason Sobel on Friday, January 29th, 4 p.m. Pacific. They will be sharing about the spiritual and prophetic significance of both 2021 and the Hebrew year 5781. So, uh, I mean, full steam forward with the prophetic. Uh, it does not seem to occur to him that he has absolutely no prophetic ability whatsoever that he can miss something in his own words, something so big. Uh, in fact, his whole ministry, his entire ministry is about the prophetic. I went to his website just now and, uh, here's a few screenshots of, of his resources. And, uh, I'm not, I'm not being selective here. This is what he's got. Uh, God's secrets, uh, keys to heaven's economy, uh, you know, developing a lifestyle by words of knowledge. And then you've got the prophetic 101 mini e-course, uh, prophetic 101 e-course, hearing God's voice in your marriage e-course, um, modern prophets translating God, you know, almost everything he's got is about prophecy and hearing the voice of God. Uh, he's got uh, another resource called uh, uh, God's Secrets, a book in, entitled uh, God's Secrets. You know what? This this is Gnosticism, as I said earlier. Uh, the, the, this secret divine revelation knowledge. This is a modern day version, warmed over version of the ancient heresy of Gnosticism. He's even got a book for kids on how to hear the voice of God. So he, he can't hear of God's voice apparently, but he's going to teach your kids how to. A number of years ago, my wife, Kathy and I were talking about this and, and she made an excellent point and I've used it often, but she pointed out that in every area of our lives, we seek out the best, right? We want the best plumber to fix our leaky sink. We want the best roofer to put a roof on our house. We want the best mechanic to fix our car. We want the best doctor to give us health care. We seek out the best in every area of our life. You know, you wouldn't take your car to a mechanic 
uh, whom you know, nine out of every ten cars he works on breaks down before they get out of the parking lot. You wouldn't let a, a, a surgeon perform surgery on you if you knew that 90% of the patients that he has don't make it out of the operating room alive. You wouldn't, you wouldn't go to a roofer to put a roof on your house if you knew that nine out of every ten roofs he puts on uh, within a year are, are leaking. We don't do that. We seek out the best in every area of our lives except the nurturing and feeding and shepherding of our eternal souls. When it comes to that, oh, anything will do. You know, when, when it comes to the area that is by far the most important, eh, you know, Joel Osteen, I mean, maybe there's some others that know a bit more about the Bible than he does. But, you know, Joel Osteen, he's so nice and he just smiles all the time. He makes me just feel so good about myself. And, you know, and I, I, I just really like that. You know, we we don't settle for mediocrity, and Joel Osteen's not even mediocre, but we don't settle for mediocrity in any other area of our life. Why would you go to learn about the prophetic, learn how to hear the voice of God from someone who can't prophesy and can't hear the word of God, the voice of God? It makes no sense. Dear friends, the one area that is by far the most important we must and should and should want to seek out men who are knowledgeable in the scriptures, proficient in the scriptures, know how to rightly divide the word of truth and are not bringing reproach upon the name of Christ by putting words in his mouth that he did not say. I thought that was a great illustration by my wife, Kathy. Um, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Okay. Um, okay. So Chris Vallotton is one of the senior leaders at Bethel Church, uh, pastored by Bill Johnson there in Redding, California. He's one of the uh, associate pastors, but one of the top guys there. Also the co-founder of Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, which will be a subject matter for a, a future video of mine. But, uh, Chris Vallotton, like all the others, prophesied very clearly, very forthrightly that Donald Trump would win the United States presidential election. But then when he didn't, November 3rd, a few days after that, Chris Ballatin put up an apology video apologizing for his false prophecy. So I want to read uh, to you from this article. This is from uh, Record Searchlight. Um, the title, Bethel Church Leader Chris Ballatin Reposts Election Prophecy Apology Video. So I want to read this to you. He says, uh, the article says, Bethel Senior, Bethel Church Senior Associate Leader Chris Vallotton has made good on his word and reposted a video apologizing for prophesying Donald Trump would win a second term. Vallotton, who co-founded Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, put the video back up Friday night, two days after the violent siege on the U.S. Capitol by Trump supporters. Originally, Vallotton posted the apology video the Saturday after the November 3rd election. But the church leader took the video down, saying he did more research and decided to wait for the official vote count because it appears there is significant, a, a significant amount of discrepancy in the process. However, he said he would repost the apology if the outcome of the election did not change. After Congress confirmed President-elect Joe Biden's victory last week, referring to January the 6th, 
Uh, the record searchlight asked Ballantin last Thursday morning if now that the results were official, would he repost his video? Ballantin said, stay tuned in an email. The video and Ballantin's decision to take it down received national attention and coverage from various publications, including the Christian Post. Ballantin congratulates Biden in the video, says he will be praying for him. Uh, all these years I've been praying for presidents. I just want to say I pray for your success. Ballantin then apologizes for missing the prophecy about Donald Trump. He says, I take full responsibility for being wrong. There's no excuse for it. I think it doesn't make me a false prophet. Yeah, it does. Uh, it goes on, but it does create a credibility cap. No kidding. A lot of people trust me, trust my ministry, and I want to say I'm very sorry for everyone who put their trust in me. Ballantin says he has never had to apologize for making a bad prophecy, but he said he wants to be held accountable for the mistake. Um, he says, I know I will learn from it. This was a very big mistake, da-da-da. He says it's humiliating and he's not mad because Biden became president. Ballantin says he's humbled. I'm sure some of you have questions. Maybe over the next couple of weeks we'll talk about it. So, there it is. So, Chris Valentin put up an apology video a few days after the election. Then when it seemed like Trump might have a shot at it after all, he pulled his apology down, said he would repost it if Biden did win. Biden did win officially uh, January 6th, so he put the vote, the apology video back up. Is that confusing? Let's just say, for the sake of kicks and giggles, let's just say we are still in the prophetic age and there are still modern-day prophets, which there aren't. But let's just say they, they are. Why in the world would you put your trust in a prophet whose prophetic convictions change with the wind? That guy doesn't know if he's foot or horseback. He doesn't know if he's coming or going. I mean, he, I mean, put the apology up, take it down, put it back up again. He doesn't know. He's not hearing from God. None of these people are hearing from God. But this is the fundamental problem is that the entire charismatic movement is based on this belief that God is still speaking to people in a direct quotable sense outside of scripture. Friends, he's not. Um, even Michael Brown, I shouldn't say even Michael Brown, I guess I should say, could say especially Michael Brown, but, uh, Dr. Michael Brown also believes that God is speaking to people in a direct quotable sense outside of scripture. Now, uh, to his credit, he says that God's not doing it nearly as often as, uh, what many people believe, uh, these prophets anyway. Well, that's patently obvious, but he does believe that God is still speaking to people outside of Scripture, and God is still giving prophecies today. Uh, in fact, I wanted to show you this is a, just a little excerpt from one of his articles. Now, this article Dr. Brown wrote in the wake of the first prophetic face plan of 2020, when none of the prophets saw COVID coming, and then after it came and everybody knew about it, they prophesied that it would go away or at least be severely diminished by Passover, April of 2020. That didn't happen. And so he wrote an article acknowledging that face plant. But uh, as part of his article, he still supports, uh, gave some anecdotes rather to support his belief that God is still speaking to people in a direct quotable sense outside of scripture. And, and one of these examples that he gives uh, reads like this. He says, a powerful woman of prayer was asked to speak at a church banquet. And on the way there, she heard the spirit, capital S, say to her heart, quote, I want you to bring a prophetic word to each person there. When she arrived, there was a table with about 12 people sitting there. And so she thought to herself, I can bring a word to each of these 12. 
Then some doors swung open, and to her surprise, there were about 300 people seated at other tables. She thought to herself, how can I possibly bring a prophetic word to all these people? Now, I'm just going to say right on that, that just doesn't pass the smell test to me. Uh, I mean, when you go to a meeting, uh, some kind of a Christian meeting or a church banquet, I think you've got a pretty good idea. You know, at least the general number of people are there. There's a big difference between 12 people being there and 300. But So, I mean, right off the bat, this just doesn't seem plausible. But anyway, at that moment, she noticed a silver-haired woman seated in that front table and received this message for her. Keep on trucking. What? She's supposed to tell an old woman that the Lord is saying, keep on trucking? But she couldn't shake the feeling, and she went ahead and said to her, The Lord says, keep on trucking. The whole place instantly erupted with shouts of uh, shouts and applause. The prophetic word was for all of them. You see, this elderly woman had recently lost her husband, who owned a large trucking company. The widow had asked the church to pray for wisdom in the matter. Should she keep the company going or not? God answered their prayers directly with a very clear word. Our Father cares enough to do things like this. Friends, I'm sorry. God just doesn't talk like that. I mean, what else did God say? Breaker 1-9, this here's a rubber duck. You got your ears on? I mean, God just doesn't talk like that, dear ones. These people are putting words in God's mouth that he did not say. If you have to wonder whether or not God spoke to you, he didn't. Okay? If you have to wonder whether or not God spoke to you, he didn't. He speaks to us in his word. And when Dr. Brown says that God cares enough to do things like this, friends, of course he cares enough. I mean, first Peter five, seven, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all of your anxiety upon him for he cares for you. And, and the best rendering and understanding of that in the Greek is literally it matters to him about you. It matters to him about you. And so that's not the issue. Of course, he cares for us. But friends, he he cares for us enough to give us this. I mean, I know he cares for me. I don't need God to tell me to keep on trucking or to anything else like that. I know God cares for me because his word tells me he cares for me. This is enough. This is enough. I don't, I don't need some word of knowledge or some prophecy from anybody to tell me that, hey, you know, Justin, God, God told me to tell you that he really cares for you. I know he cares for me. It's right here in black and white. And for all these people who say, well, you know, yeah, the Bible is the word of God, but I, you know, I just need something more. I, I need, I, the Bible's good, but I, I yearn for something more. That's what uh, Sarah Young says in her book, Jesus Calling. I quote, I knew that God communicated with me through the Bible, but I yearned for more. Here's my question for all those people who say that they need something more than the Bible. Have you squeezed every drop of truth there is to be squeezed out of this book? Have you mastered this book from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21? You have mastered it. You have you have squeezed every drop of truth. There is to be squeezed. There is to be wrung out of this book. You have mastered it all from cover to cover. If the answer to that is no, and it is, because friends, none of us 
have completely mastered this book. We could all spend a thousand lifetimes studying this book and just scratch the surface. So if the answer to that question is no, and it is, then please don't tell me the Bible's not enough. You don't even understand what you have in black and white right in front of you. Don't tell me the Bible's not enough. It is enough. And that's the whole issue. For those of us who are cessationists, Scripture is sufficient. It is sufficient. But when you take the charismatic position, it's not. Uh, and I know people would push back against that, and, and Dr. Brown would push back against that. The fact of the matter is, though, if you believe that God is still speaking today in a direct quotable sense outside of Scripture, giving dreams, giving, giving visions, words of knowledge, telling people to keep on trucking, well, the Bible doesn't tell me to keep on trucking. I mean, it doesn't use that language, so I guess I need God to tell me that outside of Scripture. So all of this, if you take that position, the sufficiency of Scripture is out the window. It's gone. They are two mutually exclusive positions. Okay, so I want you to uh, I want to I want to show you a, a brief video of uh, a clip rather of Chris Vallotton in his explanation of his false prophecy and then apology apologizing and then taking it back and then putting it back up in the body of Christ for everybody. Here we're talking about prophecy and prophets. That prophecy and prophets were never meant to live in the world of infallibility. And the truth is, when we create a system where we believe that people are supposed to be infallible, think about how crazy that is. Like, are we actually saying that there's a certain title that you wear that means that everything you say should be taken as being infallible? You are infallible. Straw man argument. Uh, Dr. Busnitz and I talked about that in our interview. It is not that a true prophet was completely infallible in everything that he did. And Dr. Busnitz gave the example of Nathan. When Nathan, the, a true prophet, gave his opinion, his opinion happened to be, on that occasion at least, wrong. But when, when a prophet says, thus saith the Lord, or a prophet is saying, this is what God is telling me, quote, da-da-da-da-da, like they do all the time nowadays. You'd better be right. 100%. Yes. And that, yes, you are held to infallibility. You must be 100% correct. And if you're not, you're a false prophet. I'd like to point out there is no place in the New Testament when, when Jesus warned about false prophets or when John in 1 John 4 talked about false prophets. Did they ever say that a false prophet is false because he gave inaccurate prophetic words? Another straw man argument. Deuteronomy 18 very clearly lays this parameter out for a false prophet. Who does Chris Valentine think wrote Deuteronomy 18? Who does he think inspired that? Yeah, Christ. The argument he just used there is the exact same argument that liberal theologians make when they say, oh, well, Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. It's the exact same argument, and it's a straw man argument. It's a false argument. It's a very dangerous argument. Just go look at it. It's all about heart. And I wouldn't be putting too much confidence in my heart. You know what Jeremiah said? Oh, a, a real prophet, Jeremiah, said about that. Yeah. And false prophets are people who lead people astray on purpose. Okay, now I want to deal with this objection just a little bit more fully. We've kind of dealt with it somewhat, but I want to flesh this out a little bit more than what we've already done. Chris Vallotton and Dr. Michael Brown and all these others, they keep saying that a false teacher is one who is intentionally and knowingly 
trying to deceive you. And we've already seen how from, from Sean Bolt said he gets his words of knowledge from Wi-Fi, Google Profit. So that is intentional deception. Todd White, when he pulls people's legs, that is intentional deception. And some of these people that you see in the charismatic world, they're, they're out and out charlatans. I mean, complete frauds and they know they are. There's not an ounce of sincerity in them. People like Robert Tilton and Don Stewart and Peter Popoff and, uh, some of these people that are, that, that are so bad, TBN won't even put them on. Uh, but some others would fall under the, Yes, they are intentionally deceiving you, but there's still a part of them that thinks that they are doing the right thing. I want to bring your attention to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, says that, that evil men and imposters will grow from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Notice that, deceiving and being deceived. Some of these people... As I said, out-and-out charlatans, hucksters, not an ounce of sincerity in them. Most of them, I believe, fall under the 2 Timothy 3.13 category. Yes, they are intentionally trying to deceive you. I believe that Sean Boltz is intentionally trying to deceive you. I believe that many times Chris Ballatin is intentionally trying to deceive you. He, he must be because he knows that the... The signs and wonders that they claim are happening and taking place at the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, which he co-founded, are not actually happening. Bill Johnson, uh, Kenneth Copeland, all these others. Benny Hinn, I believe, is a good example of this. Yes, they are intentionally deceiving you. Uh, Benny Hinn knows that the people that he claims are healed on his platform at his healing crusades, he knows they are not truly healed. He knows that. they are. In, he is intentionally deceiving you in that. Uh, he knows that his father was never, never the mayor of Jaffa, Israel. He knows that he did not go into a hospital in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, Canada, Canada, along with an Episcopal priest and heal everybody in the hospital. He knows that. He has told lie after lie after lie after lie, major lies about major events in his own life and ministry. He is intentionally deceiving you. All these others are, but there is also a part of them that is being deceived themselves. I believe that Benny Hinn, even though he is intentionally deceiving people and has been doing so for over 40 years, there's a part of him that believes at some level that he's doing the right thing, that he's actually serving the Lord in some way. And I'm sure that's true for Chris Ballatin and Bill Johnson and Kenneth Copeland. They're, they have you ever heard it said that if you tell a lie often enough, you begin to believe it yourself? So most of these people fall under that 2 Timothy 3.13 category. Yes, they are intentionally deceiving you, but they are also at some level being deceived themselves. Both of those dynamics can be at work in the same person. Okay, dear ones, I will now want to show you a few clips from a recent Sid Roth program. He put this up on January the 27th. This is a full week after Biden's inauguration. Of course, Sid Roth is the one who gave many, not all, but many of these false prophets a platform to utter all of their false prophecies over the last year. Going back further than that, but that's what we're focusing on the last year. And uh, so he obviously had to say something, right? And so finally, a week after the inauguration, he did. And uh, someone reminded me, I think it was last night, and they said, Sid, remember this. 
you only have an audience of one. And that's God. He's the only one you have to please. He is right about that. We do have an audience of one. But friends, that should terrify him. God holds his name and his word above all things. Psalm 138 verse 2. He does not take lightly false prophets, false prophecies, people putting words in his mouth that he did not say. Sid Roth truly does not grasp the magnitude of the reproach that he and all these other false prophets have brought upon the name of Christ. He, he does not get it. None of these people get it. The sad reality is that the vast, vast, vast majority of charismatics simply do not think it's a big deal to do this kind of stuff. They really don't think it's a big deal to utter false prophecies and put words in God's mouth he did not say. You know, they just think, oh, well, it's a mistake and you apologize and you move forward. No, it, it, it's not just a mistake. I mean, taking a wrong turn is a mistake. Leaving the milk out of the refrigerator overnight, that's a, that's a mistake. False prophecies are huge. Putting words in God's mouth is a big, big deal. God prescribed the death penalty for that in the Old Testament. And the only reason that Sid Roth and all of these others have not been stoned a long time ago is that thankfully for them, we're living on this side of the cross. We're no longer in a, in an Old Testament theocracy, Old Testament theocracy of Israel. But God's standard has not changed. His character and his nature has not changed. He still holds his name and his word above all things. And just so everyone understands, we're not talking here about making uh, an error in our teaching. Like I'm a preacher. Uh, I am not saying at all that I have never made a mistake in something that I have taught. or and, and I have no doubt that somewhere in my theology, I've got something wrong. None of the fundamentals, I, you know, but, uh, you know, somewhere all of us has something wrong. Uh, for example, I personally do not believe that Matthias was a real apostle. I think the apostles kind of jumped the gun a little bit in trying to find a replacement for Judas. What they could not have known at the time was that later down the road, Saul of all people, Saul would be, would, would become Judas replacement and of course be known as Paul. Uh, so I, I think they jumped the gun with Matthias. I don't, I don't think when I get to heaven and I see those 12 foundation stones, that Matthias's name is going to be on one of them. It's hard for me to imagine that Matthias's name will be there and, and not Paul's. But at any rate, um, you know, uh, not everybody agrees with me on that. Jim Osmond, uh, one of my best friends, I have as much respect for Jim Osmond as a preacher as I do anyone on the face of this earth. Uh, Jim disagrees with me on that. He thinks Matthias is or was a real apostle. And you know what? Um, that's okay. Jim can be wrong about that. And, uh, you know, we'll, we still have fellowship in Christ. It's not a big deal. You know, of course, you know, either he's wrong or I'm wrong. We're not talking about minor things like this. Uh, we're not even talking about your eschatology. And it's not that eschatology is not an important issue. It is important. But it's not a salvific issue. It, it's not, you know, John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul 
absolutely united on the gospel, but they did have different uh, eschatological viewpoints, but they still loved each other and partnered with one another uh, in in the gospel. So we're not talking about uh, making a mistake or having an error at some you know in some uh, area of our theology that that's one thing and and that is to be expected all of us have that but i can honestly tell you dear friends one thing that i have never done and never will do is say that god has spoken to me and told me quote da 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 god has told me to tell you or i am prophesying this thus saith the lord I have never done that. I never will do that. That is blasphemy of the highest order. And these people do it all the time. That is the theological distinctive of the charismatic movement. And and it is just, it is like water off a duck's back for them. It is no big deal. They utter dozens and dozens and dozens, hundreds, thousands of false prophecies. And they just keep on going. Doesn't even bother them. That's a big deal. As you know, I am an investigative reporter, and we do such a thorough job of investigating our guests and reading books and uh, and uh, just all 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 the steps that we do. It's actually, in a sense, because of the number of guests we have, ridiculous. You have no idea how many guests are eliminated for doctrinal reasons or for just things we, we, we feel the book won't, won't be the, uh, that good for the, for, for you. Friends, when I heard him say that, that you have no idea how many people we turn away because, you know, we really vet them and we turn them away for doctrinal issues and all these things, you know, they really check out their guests. I nearly fell out of my chair. That is gobsmacking to me. As I said earlier in this video, Sid Roth has the looniest of the loony. And I, I just want to show you some of this. So I went to Sid Roth's YouTube channel and I, I just took some screenshots uh, of some recent programs that he has put up. I just want to read through some of the titles of this. Okay, you ready? Are you, are you sitting down? Okay. People are healed when he plays his violin. How to hear God talk to you. I met Michael the Archangel, and he taught me heavenly secrets. That's what the word is. It's left out there. Uh, this one from Sean Bolt's God has secrets, and I'll show you how to unlock them. You see all the see all the secret motif? That's Gnosticism. And Sean Bolt's secret is to have a good Wi-Fi signal. Satan brought me to hell to make me his son. I walked into Jesus's eyes. A woman grew five inches taller before my eyes. Healing breaks out when she sings. You would think that would be a best-selling album, now wouldn't you? She can get drunk without alcohol. Diseases disappear when she swings her sword. Are you kidding me? Really? So this woman, I've seen the episode, by this way, this woman has this great big old sword, and when she swings her sword around, supposedly people get healed. Are you kidding me? You know what? Sid Roth's program is what Babylon B wants to be when it grows up. Babylon B ain't got nothing on Sid Roth. Nothing. This West African king has seen eight people raised from the dead. I, yeah. 
all these reports of people being raised from the dead in Africa. Yeah, that, that's, that's, uh, that's fake news. That's anyway, what Jesus did to me in heaven made me weep. Cancer dies in his healing rooms. If that were true, if cancer really died in this guy's healing rooms, you wouldn't be able to fit people in those healing rooms with a shoehorn. See, that's, that's the reason. That's why Nathan and I, Dr. Boozen and I said what we did. If, if, if all of the apostolic gifts were still in operation, charismatics wouldn't have to go to such lengths to try to prove that they are. It would be so patently obvious. That moment when an angel came and stood on our bed face to face with a shape shifting witch doctor. Has your healing not manifested? This may be the reason. So if, if you, if you're not healed, if you're sick, it's your fault. It's something you're not doing. It's your lack of faith. Are you sick of being sick? It's time you tried this. How to position yourself for supernatural wealth transfer. You think, uh, Sid Roth in health and wealth? Of course he is. I saw Jesus in a blue mist. Who hasn't seen Jesus in a blue mist? A kid takes off and flies at my meeting. I saw Skittles dropping from heaven. You know how I know that's not true? Because Skittles would, if, if heaven were going to drop candy, it would be M&Ms, not Skittles. A heavenly elevator took Kevin Zadai up to see this. God supernaturally transports him across the earth. So, so God just got, takes this guy and flies him around the world. Superman. Jesus taught me the warrior's dance in heaven. Lady, I've seen that. I've, most of these episodes I've seen. Looney Tunes. And, and, as, and as loony as the titles are, believe me, if you were to watch the videos. Oh, yeah. God takes her up to the throne room. I saw demons guarding a heavenly treasure room. God led me upstairs to a special room in heaven. This is Gnosticism. I saw an angel with these four names written on him. A witch doctor comes to my meeting to kill me. Danger, danger, danger. Jesus came to me and said, we must protest this. I pray for a baby dead for a year and this happens. I, I've seen that episode too. It's Looney Tunes. Uh, angel secrets discovered on my visit to heaven. I was taken to hell. What I saw there shocked me. The supernatural secret to reverse aging. Hmm. I went to heaven. This is uh, James Gall. I went to heaven and God spoke these words to me. Secrets to unlock wealth from the courts of heaven. Lunacy. Absolute lunacy. And see, this is one of my, this is one of my chief concerns and complaints about Dr. Michael Brown. Michael Brown, by his own admission, has been friends with heaven, with heaven, has been friends with Sid Roth. Sid Roth's been to, actually, Sid Roth hasn't been to heaven. It's all of his guests. He's actually mentioned that. He said, my guests, uh, provoke me to jealousy because all my guests have been to heaven and he hasn't been to heaven. Well, it might be a clue to you, Sid. But at any rate, Dr. Michael Brown has been friends with Sid Roth for now, I believe it's 36 or 37 years. Now, I'm with my good friend, Dr. Michael Brown. Mike, how long have we known each other? We became friends in 1984. That's, that's a long time, whatever that 33 is. 33 years. 33 years. Good friends. Michael Brown has been a guest on Sid Roth's program. Michael Brown has hosted Sid Roth's program, It's Supernatural. This is the looniest stuff out there. 
And I'm not saying that Michael Brown would believe everything that Sid Roth puts on his program, but my goodness, given that they have such a long history, I mean, here's a screenshot of Michael Brown on Sid Roth's program from back in 1997. Given that they have such a long friendship, uh, Michael Brown either needs to be telling Sid Roth to stop this nonsense or he needs to publicly distance himself from Sid Roth because this is the the world is mocking this. He won't call anybody out by name as a false prophet. Sid Roth is a false prophet and he gives dozens and dozens of other false prophets a huge platform. And by the way, if if you think that this is a, oh, who listens to this? Who would watch such nonsense? This is so crazy. Surely nobody watches this. Sid Roth's YouTube channel has 1.26 million subscribers. 1.26 million. My YouTube channel has got, I don't know, something like 84,000 at this point in time. I'm not jealous of Sid Believe me, I'm not jealous of Sid Roth. Because I, I'm sure glad I'm not going to have to give an account for what he's going to have to give an account for. Um, at any rate, it shows you that this is not the fringe. This is the mainstream of the charismatic movement. Grace to Youth's Grace to Use YouTube channel. I think I'd have to look it up. I'll put up a graphic, but four hundred and some odd thousand subscribers. So Sid Roth. I mean, Grace to You. That's as solid as solid gets. And Sid Roth's lunacy has triple the number of subscribers that Grace to You does. This is not the fringe. This is the mainstream of the charismatic movement. And another video that I've mentioned before, Sid Roth actually reenacting throwing babies against walls. It, it doesn't get any more bizarre, deranged than this. And Dr. Michael Brown's good friends with Sid. There's no way he doesn't know the stuff that Sid Roth's putting up. There's just no way. You may remember that one of Dr. Brown's chief complaints about the Strange Fire Conference was that it painted all charismatics with a broad brush. Well, Dr. Brown, if you're watching this, it doesn't get loonier than Sid Roth. You're good friends with him. You are obligated to either to go to him and rebuke him. That You should do that. I mean, unless you believe this stuff, but you should go and and confront him in this mockery of Christianity that the world is laughing at. I mean, the gospel is hard enough to believe as it is without piling on this kind of Looney Tune stuff. So you are obligated to confront Sid Roth and, and then publicly say what his reaction was. And if he does not respond and bend his knee to the truth, which honestly, I hope he would. I would love, love, love to see Sid Roth repent. I would love to see all of these people repent. But barring repentance, then you've got to distance yourself from this kind of lunacy. But um, I, I want you to know, as an investigative reporter, uh, we only have the best of the best. And when it comes to prophets, the prophets that we have on the show are ones with proven track records. Yes, proven to be false. There were so many biblical reasons that I wanted President Trump to win. 
Now, you can say, but Sid, his character or personality before he was a believer in Jesus, uh, stop. I could say that about everyone listening to me, and me too, I could say that about. My Bible says he became a new creation. Now, does that mean he didn't regress in some areas, uh, such as language, etc.? Yes, but he's a work in training, a work in progress. So Sid Roth is saying that Donald Trump is a Christian, that he's been saved. This brings me to another major issue that we should all have with this stuff. It is that it's, it is a cheapening of the gospel. I've already done a couple of videos talking about Donald Trump. And yes, I voted for him in 2016 and 2020 because I support his policies. But he's not a believer. He's not a Christian. There is absolutely no evidence that this man is regenerate in the Lord Jesus Christ. This He is, by his own admission, he has uh, not asked God for forgiveness. He's been asked that question on two separate occasion, occasions. Have you ever asked God for forgiveness? And Donald Trump has, on both occasions, said no. That, by definition, is not a Christian. And it is uh, it, it truly is a, a tragedy that for the last number of years, Donald Trump has been surrounded by these kinds of quote-unquote Christians, Paula White and Kenneth Copeland and, and others. I mean, it, it's uh, his evangelical advisory board is, is a, a disaster, a, a, a truly a disaster. But this cheapens the gospel. And it goes back to the irony that I was discussing. As a cessationist, my view of the Holy Spirit of God is far too high to believe that someone like Donald Trump, who just surrounds himself with evangelicals uh, and, and has policies that are supportive of the evangelical position, uh, and yet openly says he's never asked God for, for forgiveness. He's considered to be a Christian in word faith NAR circles, many of them. Sid Roth, you just heard him, thinks Donald Trump is a Christian. Dear friends, my view of the Holy Spirit of God is far too high for that. If Donald Trump had truly become a Christian, there would be a night and day difference in him. You cannot go from being dead in trespasses and sins to alive in Christ and there be no change. It's just not possible. If these folks were truly indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God as much as they claim to be, then they wouldn't be wasting their time on Skittles falling from heaven and riding elevators with Jesus and Jesus teaching me the warrior dance in heaven. I mean, it, they wouldn't be talking about that kind of lunacy. They would be, there would be an emphasis on the gospel. There would be an emphasis on sound doctrine and right theology and, and hermeneutics and how to rightly interpret and study the word of God so that you can grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. They would be talking about real repentance. They would be talking about a godly sorrow over sin. They would be talking about suffering for the sake of the gospel and for the honor of Christ and how that is indeed a privilege to us, Philippians 1.29. They would be talking more about those things, not flying off to heaven and walking into Jesus' eyeballs. I, I want to sincerely ask, that's my pastor's heart that's that's really the strong thing promoting this. I, I want to sincerely ask for forgiveness for saying Trump would serve another term. And I do take full responsibility for what I said. Sid, 
There's nothing wrong with saying that you wanted Trump to serve a second term or that you hoped that he would serve a second term or even thought that you thought that he might would actually indeed serve a second term. The problem is, is that you prophesied that he would, that all of your guests prophesied that he would. I'm especially sorry for people whose faith really was shaken. Yes, many people's faith was shaken, but unnecessarily so. It was shaken because they put so much faith and stock, not in the sovereign God of the universe, but in these prophets. My faith wasn't shaken at all. Hey, I was hoping and praying that Donald Trump would win and that he would serve a second term. I was praying for that. But you know what? He's not going to serve a second term. And my faith hasn't been shaken one iota because I know God is sovereign. God is in control. And the heart of the king is as like as a river in his hands. I know that no authority exists except that which has been established by God. I, I, my faith has not been shaken because my faith is in the sufficient word of God not these prophets. Now, you know this, I'm sure, if you're on social media, that many of my friends that I endorse as prophets uh, have gone on social media and they believe that it's not over. And I have to tell you, I pray in Yeshua's name that they're right. It's over. I know that, and this is what I call it, you just got to bear with me because God put it in my spirit and I'm supposed to say it publicly. Okay, now, what you just heard, that was a telling moment. So Sid Roth is about to tell us something publicly because God has told him to do so. So God has given him some information and has instructed him to tell us publicly, and so he's about to do that. So Sid can hear God clearly enough to know to do that, and yet he could not hear God clearly enough to get it right on the United States presidential election for which he had years to prepare. You see, friends, a little common sense. These people are not hearing from God. Uh, Chris Valentin, by the way, said the exact same thing. This is a screenshot from Chris Valentin's blog in which he uh, finally put up, I guess, his final apology video uh, for getting the prophecy wrong. Now, look what I have highlighted here. His words. When I realized I got the prophetic word wrong about Trump, I asked the Lord, what should I do? He told me to apologize, not contend. I had to be true to what I felt. There's that language again, feeling uh, the Holy Spirit. But I, what I felt the Holy Spirit said to me. Okay, notice he says he admits he got the prophecy about Trump wrong. But then he asked the Lord, what should I do? And the Lord told him that he should apologize. Okay, so he, again, folks, so he can hear God clearly enough just in real time conversation. Lord, what shall I do? What should I do? Apologize. Okay, Lord. So he, he he's in he's in tune with God enough to hear that, but not to hear God about again the United States presidential election for which he had years to prepare. A little common sense, folks. These folks are not hearing from God. God is not speaking to them, period. So I'm releasing it publicly. I know that the golden global glory, I like saying it that way, 
gold is trying to say it's a tongue twister in a way. <laughs> Golden global glory is coming this year. It will be a game changer. Let's learn from what's going on, but if I got some good news for you coming up, coming up, the golden global glory will be here this year. Isaiah 60, 1 to 3 describes it in the Amplified Bible. It's what's happening right at this minute. This gold globe, oh, I did it. <laughs> global golden glory is going to usher in repentance beginning at the house of God like the world has never seen before. Isaiah 60 is talking about the glory of Jerusalem in the millennial kingdom, not the United States of America. And even if you have a different eschatology than that, Isaiah 60 is not talking about the United States of America or Donald Trump or any of those things. Because the golden global glory will just swoop in but not only that, when you're walking down the street, people that have demons, their demons will leave. They won't want to be in your presence. By the way, that means they'll leave you. They won't even be able to harass you anymore. I mean, can you picture them trying to get by the, the global glory of God, the golden global glory? I cannot picture the golden global glory, Sid. The glory will trigger evangelism that will be incalculable. It won't be a million souls. It won't be a billion souls. It is incalculable. So when the golden global glory hits this year in 2021, there won't be just a million people saved, not even a billion. And when Sid Roth first said that, I thought, oh, he just kind of misspoke. But uh, then a few minutes later, he said it again. Billions are going to be saved. Billions are going to be saved. Now, let's take the conservative, the most conservative understanding of billions, which would be two billion. Dear friends, the entire population of the whole planet is only seven point something billion, seven and a half billion people. And so, according to Sid Roth, in 2021, the golden global glory is going to result in the salvation of billions, at minimum a third of the world's population, subtracting the number of people who are already Christians at this point? Come on. Millions of miracle ministries are about ready to be raised up. There'll be mass miracles, but there will, well, you have seen nothing until you see glory miracles. Millions of miracle ministries will arise in the golden global glory year of 2021. See, friends, it always comes back to the signs and wonders stuff. That is, that is, that is their emphasis, not the gospel, signs and wonders. But there's going to be millions of miracle ministries to rise up. Dear friends, even in the, in the early days of church, in the book of Acts, Signs and wonders were not taking place at the hands of believers in general. I mean, read the book of Acts. Read Acts chapter 2. Signs were taking place uh, at the hands of the apostles. Acts chapter 5, verse 12, it says, At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place 
among the people. Signs and wonders were taking place at the hands of the apostles. There are no more apostles today. God still performs miracles today, but there are no miracle workers today. When God does a miracle, he just does it because it pleases him to do so. But no one today has the apostolic sign gifts. If they were still in operation, then the charismatics wouldn't have to spend so much time trying to convince us that they are. And friends, lest you think that in any way Sid Roth has repented or this has given him any kind of pause in doing what he's doing, it has not, let me assure you. I Just as I was working on this video and trying to wrap this up, uh, I'm recording this on January the 29th, 3.32 p.m., Mountain Standard Time, just as I was working on this, I saw a little uh, notification pop up and Sid Roth just uploaded a brand new video on his YouTube channel. And he's interviewing Chris Reed. This I'm not real familiar with him, but Chris Reed, apparently some, some prophet. And uh, the title of this video is, An Angel Came to Me with a Word for This Hour. And so uh, I pushed play, just going to watch a, a few, few minutes of it, see what it was like. Within the first two or three minutes, Chris Reed is is lauding and praising William Branham. Chris, just give me one example because this happens often. Just give me one example of a of a very recent uh, uh, time where your gift was demonstrated. And uh, he told me something about an, an Olympic runner, or tell me about that. <laughs> yeah, so I was at uh, Morningstar um, for their uh, New Year's conference. And so back um, about uh, 2011, um, I started studying the ministry of a great prophetic voice in our modern time. And uh, William Brennan was his name. And when studying his gifting, his uh, unique ministry of healing in the prophetic, I started having experiences at nighttime where I would feel electricity go through my body. And this went on for about a year. William Branham was a false prophet, false teacher, charlatan, and absolute downright heretic. He denied the Trinity. Here, listen for yourself. I, I found uh, some audio clips of William Branham. Listen for yourself. Now, you Trinitarian brethren, I'm not one to hurt you, but how in the name of the good word of God could you ever place Jesus being a separate person from God himself? And I know that I'm talking in here even a Trinitarian minister. And my brethren, I do not say this. I do not say this to her. I'm a Trinitarian too. I believe in the Trinity, the, the three attributes of God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost but not three gods. Amen. I believe to be three attributes. Absolutely. I do that with all my heart. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But they are not three gods. Amen. They're just three attributes. Our other three offices of God. God lived once in the fatherhood, sonship, and now the Holy Ghost. It's the same God in three offices. My precious brother, I know this is a tape also. Now don't get excited. Let me say this with godly love. The hours approach where I can't hold still on these things no more. It's too close yeah, to the coming. Yeah, Trinitarianism is of the devil. Amen. 
I say that, thus saith the Lord. Amen. There it is, dear ones. William Branham, who said, Trinitarianism is of the devil. I say that, thus saith the Lord. And here is a so-called prophet, Chris Reed, extolling William Branham on Sid Roth's program. Unbelievable. Does this remind you of what the Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, verse 8? But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. This is exactly what is happening. Chris Reed claims an angel came and gave him a word from the Lord, and he is extolling a blatant heretic who denounced the Trinity as a demonic doctrine. This is a different gospel. There is absolutely no repentance on the part of Sid Roth. None whatsoever. These are not minor issues, dear ones. But with the global golden glory, <laughs> let me tell you something. It'll be different. It'll be better than Samuel. But this is what it says about Samuel in First uh, Samuel 3.19. The Lord was with him. That's with Samuel. And did not let any of his words fall to the ground. That's what happens when you prophesy in the glory. No, that's not what happens when you prophesy under the golden global glory. It's what happens when a true prophet prophesies. You see, dear ones, when a true prophet prophesies, no word falls to the ground. And that is in stark contrast to the modern so-called self-appointed prophets. Every single word that has come from their mouth has fallen to the ground. They have gotten literally nothing right. If by chance you're just watching the end of this video, you haven't seen the first part, they got nothing right. They didn't see COVID coming. When COVID came, they tried to banish it. They couldn't banish it. They didn't see the riots coming that raged for months on end. They didn't see the second impeachment coming. They didn't see the riots at the Capitol coming. They couldn't even get the United States presidential election right when they had a 50-50 chance of getting it right in the first place. Dear friends, these aren't prophets. There is more prophetic power in a Zoltar machine than these prophets. A magic eight ball has more prophetic power than any of these prophets. Rafiki the baboon from the Lion King could run prophetic circles around all of these people. These are not true prophets. Every word they have said has fallen to the ground. A true prophet, no word a true prophet says under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit falls to the ground. I want to share with you a few very sobering passages of Scripture. I want to take you first to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 13. Then the word of the Lord Yahweh came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who prophesy and say to those who prophesy from their own inspiration, listen to the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, woe to the foolish prophets who are following their own spirit and have seen nothing. Oh, Israel, your prophets have been like foxes among ruins. You have not gone up into the breaches, nor did you build the wall around the house of Israel to stand in the battle on the day of the Lord. They see falsehood and lying divination who are saying the Lord declares when the Lord has not sent them, yet they hope for the fulfillment of their word. 
Did you not see a false vision and speak a lying divination when you said, The Lord declares, but it is not I who have spoken? You see, false prophets, they they prophesy out of their own vain imaginations, out of their own vain dreams. Even more stark is Jeremiah. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 23. This is what the Lord of armies says. Do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you. They are leading you into futility. They tell a vision of their own imagination, not from the mouth of the Lord. I did not send these prophets, but they ran. I did not speak to them, but they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have announced my words to my people and would have turned them back from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy falsely in my name, saying, I had a dream, I had a dream. That's exactly what we're seeing right now, isn't it? They're exegeting their dreams. I had a dream, I had a vision. That's exactly what this is talking about. How long? Is there anything in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy falsehood, these prophets of the deceitfulness of their own heart, who intend to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which they report to one another? Friends, that is is so what is happening today. These prophets are prophesying their own dreams, their own imaginations, and they're they're taking each other's words. They're prophesying to each other, sharing their words. And you listen to these prophets, and if you've ever noticed it, so much of what they're saying all sounds like they're copying one another. It's because they are. And and the result of this is that it in it leads people to forget God. And now people are not spending their time in the word of God. They're not laboring in the word, studying to show themselves approved unto God. They're chasing after the latest prophet with his latest dream and vision, the latest word from the Lord and the latest uh, word that, that some angel gave to them. And it's causing people to forget Yahweh. Behold, I am against the prophets declares Yahweh, who use their tongues and declare, the Lord declares, behold, I am against those who have prophesied false dreams, declares the Lord, and reported them and led my people astray by their lies and reckless boasting. Yet I did not send them nor command them, and watch this, nor do they provide this people the slightest benefit, declares the Lord." Dear ones, these people do not provide you with the slightest benefit. They are not helping you. They are hurting you. If you are, if you have followed one of these prophets, they're not helping you. They're hurting you. They are serving to, to divorce you from your reliance upon scripture. Do you want a real word of prophecy? A more sure word of prophecy, as the apostle Peter said in second Peter chapter one, verse 19, he says, we have the prophetic word more certain, more sure. Think about this. This is Peter. This is the apostle Peter. He was just talking about the transfiguration. He was just talking about how 
he and James and John saw Jesus transfigured before them with Moses on one side and Elijah on the other. And as incredible as an experience as that was, Peter says, but we have the prophetic word more certain, more sure, more sure than that. What? This. This is the prophetic word that is more certain than that. You know, I don't doubt that some of these prophets are having dreams. We all have dreams. They're not from God. I don't doubt that some of these prophets, so-called, are having some kind of uh, experiences. Uh, That's not the point. I mean, lots of people have experiences. Muslims have experiences. Mormons attest to experiences. They have the burning in their bosom. Lots of people have experiences. Hindus have experiences. And Hindus experience the exact same thing by the way that charismatics do. Shaking and falling over, being slain in the spirit. Hindus do that. The question is not, are people having experiences? The question is, what is the source of that experience? Friends, no matter how real some so-called prophet may think his experience was, no matter how real some experience that you think you may have, I guarantee you that experience did not rise to the same level of the experience that Peter, James, and John had on the Mount of Transfiguration. I guarantee you it was nothing like that. And if Peter could say that this, the written word of God, is more certain than that, friends, rest in this book. Don't chase after experiences, dreams and visions and words of knowledge no matter how real an experience may seem, if it exceeds the parameters of this book, it is illegitimate. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, 6, do not exceed what is written. Do not exceed the written word of God. Friends, if you want to hear God speak to you, there is one way I guarantee you, you will hear God speak. Read your Bible. If you want to hear God speak to you audibly, read it out loud. 100% guaranteed you will hear God speak. These prophets are prophesying out of their own vain imaginations. They do not do you the slightest benefit and they bring untold reproach on the name of Christ. They are not hearing from God. This is how we hear from God. Dear ones, as we've been talking about, a number of these false prophets have come out and apologized and said that they are repenting. Sid Roth has said this. Michael Brown has said that uh, Jeremiah Johnson has repented and others. This is not repentance. Just saying, oops, I'm sorry. That's not repentance. Real repentance bears real fruit. Zacchaeus kind of fruit. Luke chapter 19. If these people were truly repentant, then they would be very cognizant of the incalculable reproach that they have brought on the gospel. They would realize that they are false prophets as the Bible defines the term. They would realize that they are not qualified to preach. They're not qualified to teach God's word. 
they are false prophets. If they are truly repentant, they would come out and admit that. They would come out and admit that they are not hearing from God and God is not speaking to them. And then they would shut their ministries down. And I don't say that with an ounce of hyperbole. They would shut their ministries down. They're not qualified to preach and teach. They do not belong behind the pulpit. They belong in front of the pulpit, sitting in the pew, submitting themselves to men who actually are biblically qualified to be elders and to preach and teach the word of God. And they would learn. That would be real repentance. If they would do that, then you would know that God has truly granted them genuine repentance unto salvation. But anything short of that, anything short of them shutting down their ministries, that's not repentance. And anything short of that is to, to not recognize the kind of reproach that they have brought upon Christ and his gospel. As I close, I just want to close with the gospel. Has there been a time in your life when you have been convicted by the Holy Spirit of God that you are a sinner, that you have broken God's laws? We are all liars, thieves, blasphemers, adulterers at heart. We have all blasphemed the name of God in both word and deed. We have committed sin, high treason against God. And because we have sinned against him, there's a penalty to be paid. And if we die in our sins, we'll very rightly and very justly go to a very real place that the Bible calls hell. The worm will not die. The fire will not be quenched. Wailing, weeping, gnashing of teeth forever and ever. That's what your sins have earned you. The wages of sin is death, eternal death. We have sinned against God who is eternal. The punishment of that sin is also eternal. And you cannot work your way into heaven. You cannot overcome your sin debt by doing some good works, by helping at the soup kitchen or helping little old ladies across the street. Can't do it. The Bible says our works are as filthy rags before a thrice holy God. Your works will not save you. But there is good news. And the good news of the gospel is this, is that God loves you. And he has made a way for you to escape his wrath. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. And Jesus lived a perfect life. Never broke any of God's laws. Fully God. Fully man. And Jesus willingly laid down his life on the cross. His life was not taken. He gave it. And on the cross, Jesus Christ, the second person of the triune God, laid down his perfect life as a perfect sacrifice to perfectly satisfy the perfect wrath of God. Three days later, bodily raised from the dead, proving himself to be who he said he was, God in human flesh. And the only way to be saved is to turn from sin, repent, repent of your sin, trust Christ in him alone for your salvation in his work on the cross. There is salvation in no one else. If you will come to Christ in a genuine godly sorrow over your sin, not just a guilty conscience, but a godly sorrow when you grieve over your sin, because you understand that your sin grieves God. If you will come to him in a godly sorrow, he will save you. 
you will pass from death to life. That is the good news of the gospel. You'll be made a new creature in Christ with new affections, new desires. You'll begin to love what God loves and hate what God hates. You'll have a love for the brethren. You'll have a love for the church. You'll desire to fellowship and worship with like-minded believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Seek out a good doctrinally sound church. Join yourself to it. A church that is committed to expositional preaching. A church that does church discipline per Matthew 18. These are some of the things to look for in a good church. Join yourself to one and you will grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't follow after these charismatic false prophets. They offer you not the slightest benefit. Dear friends, God's word is not only inerrant. It is not only infallible. It is not only authoritative. It is all of these things, but because it is all of these things, it is also sufficient. It is sufficient. It is everything that we need. Thank you very much, dear ones. Until our next time together, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with you all. Thank you for listening to Didache. We hope that you were encouraged and edified by what you just heard. If you have a question or comment for Justin, or interested in more teaching resources, or would like to have him come and preach at your church or conference, you may contact him at justinpeters.org.